Welcome to a positively funereal episode of PFL. Uh, Tennessee fans, if you're listening to this, you're the diehards. Uh, I can't imagine watching that game and wanting to uh, to dig further into it, but but we're going to do it. <laughs> I am here, your host, David Ubbin. I've got uh, Joe Rexrode, columnist at the Athletic Nashville. Joe... Joe, 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 and you thought <laughs> that Vanderbilt, Georgia was going to be the most relevant oh. game of the weekend. As somebody who oh. has floated and, and made nail-biting decisions over you know time and, and lived to regret them, how dare you? For shame. For shame, my good sir. I, oh, I will start seriously. with you. I'll, I'll start with you. We'll, we'll, you know, we're recording. It's been almost 24 hours since the loss. What was your biggest takeaway uh, in sort of seeing this happen? Well, it, it did give me a lead, David, because, you know, I watched the first half at home and then I headed out for Vanderbilt Stadium. And I was like, well, that was a not great first half for the Vols. You know, they probably only win by 10, 14 points and everyone will be freaking out and, you know, they'll move forward. And it really was listening to Tim Priest uh, on the call with, of course, Bob Kessling. It's their 21st straight year together. But listening to him, you know, analyze the first offensive drive of the second half for Georgia State. I mean, it was like, wait a minute. He sounds like he knows they're losing <laughs> because it was. But that was, of all the things we saw, and you saw up close, David, I mean, that was the thing that I would never have guessed, that Georgia State would just consistently get push and basically do whatever it wanted to do in the trenches offensively against Tennessee. So that, of the football things, that's my biggest takeaway. That's really alarming moving forward. And then I think we always ask the question, you know, where does this run? I mean, there was a lot of talk of this in the Vanderbilt press box. You know, is this the worst loss ever for Tennessee? I've heard some other candidates in there. I think it, it, it sounds like it's got a real shot to be at the top of the list. And I'd say certainly in the modern era. And so now it's just, uh, I, I mean, it's going to be a fun week in Knoxville, man. Yeah, no kidding. I am probably the worst person to ask about that just because the institutional knowledge, you know, I try. But uh, in a year, it's hard to get a sense of, of an entire program's history. The North Texas loss in the 70s is the one, that, the one that's been, been sort of held up. But I, I really think, uh, you know, for this particular loss, I just think the attitude going in, and the optimism, it was just a, a punch in the gut for Tennessee fans, a tough one to swallow. I mean, it, and on top of that, there weren't really any warning signs. You knew the defensive line was going to be a little iffy, and you knew uh, the offensive line still had a lot to prove, but you're still talking about a team that was 2-10 and 10 in the Sun Belt last year that doesn't really – there wasn't a lot of juice um, you know, behind this team or, oh, they got to watch out for this. This could get hairy. I thought it might be closer than people thought, but I, I honestly can tell you that I had never considered the idea that they could lose that game. Inexplicable, inexcusable. But I, I was also struck, and, and you touched on this a little bit, of like how just non-fluky it was. You know, I, I got into this uh, on my piece, our rewatch piece, takeaways at The Athletic uh, on our site. But the defensive line wasn't necessarily getting blown off the ball. It wasn't like they were playing Alabama, but but they were getting strategically moved to open holes. I mean, Georgia State was winning that battle, and they'd open those holes, and the backs were finding them. They were getting four yards, five yards, just so easily. And 
that is unbelievably uh, alarming for Tennessee moving forward for pretty obvious reasons. I mean, they're probably only going to play one team all year in Chattanooga that, that doesn't stack up to, to Georgia State. Everyone else they're going to play the rest of the year, except for maybe UAB. We'll see. They were a little uninspiring in, in week one. But it's probably going to be better than Georgia State. Uh, Tennessee, certainly, I would say that's a D performance from them. They're better than that uh, in theory. But looking forward, as you look to what people thought was going to be 12 games but might be just 11 games, how does how did Saturday affect your outlook on 2019 for Tennessee? Yeah, it affected it pretty significantly, I'd say. I mean, I, I mean, honestly, I thought that half this podcast was going to be us complaining about having to say Garantano now, you know, I mean, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean I've got to, having to rethink a lot of stuff here. And I do, you know, if you think about that defensive line, I mean, I, I don't know if you agree with me here, but I thought Aubrey Solomon showed up like I noticed him, you know, I was, I was watching the game thinking, man, imagine if they didn't have him. And some of it, I think they did miss Daniel Batuli. So if you want to talk about moving forward, what can improve? You know, there were some, there were some missed run fits. There were some mistakes on the perimeter with some of those runs, some poor play on the edges at cornerback. You know, I think they also missed Bryce Thompson, you know, in this game. I mean, you know, things can get better around that. But still, yeah, yeah, you're right. It's not like they got just completely plowed off the ball, but there shouldn't be that kind of push from Georgia State. I mean, there just shouldn't. So I look – I mean, I, I, I'm trying to resist, David, just completely overreacting and calling 2-10 and 10 now. Okay, I just I still look at this team and I did not like too much of what I saw from Garantano in this game. I, I was disappointed in a few things he did and you know not recognizing some pressures at times. And obviously he threw some passes you can't throw. But yeah, I still one his, look one of his worst crowdings, I would say. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, I, I still I mean I loved what I saw from Eric Gray. He's going to be fun to watch. I still think their skill position players on offense are very good um so i i I think they have a chance to be in some of these sec games if they get way better but this byu game is really going to tell us something and byu i think you tweeted out the utah player what was the what was the term he used uh i believe it was uh to get scientific poo-poo poo-poo yes there you go poo-poo but like yeah, exactly. So, but I mean that that game now it, to me is obviously it's it's quite a referendum on on Jeremy Pruitt. Yeah, the, the the question that I asked you is is a a simple one, but also a complex one. I will start with my simple answer. I, I think yesterday took me from seven and five to five and seven, and I think if there's a reason for optimism, lest we dwell on the the doom and gloom. I will say, and Vegas agrees with me, Tennessee a two-and-a-half-point favorite over BYU next week. Uh, they were three or four-point um, a week ago. College football teams are not static. They change wildly from week to week. Everyone wants to overreact to week one and, oh, they're not going to win a game. And, and Anybody who knows teenagers can tell you things change in a hurry. Um, I was shocked on Saturday just watching that and especially you know for me I, when when Jared Garantano got sacked and coughed up the ball on a blindside hit and they gave the ball they were already down three or four at the time maybe five uh and uh 
he coughs it up, and Georgia State takes the ball at the 30 uh, with, like, I don't know, eight minutes left. That's when I was like, wow, Tennessee's going to lose this game because I knew they're not going to stop them. They haven't been able to stop them in the second half at all. Um, every time that, that Tennessee was able to kind of pull ahead, you know, you saw it uh, a couple times. First of all, they come out of the second half, they march down the field, 80-something yards, touchdown to, to take the lead. And then Tennessee uh, gets that fumble, the, the Daryl the Taylor uh, blindside hit. They go down the field and score and, and take the lead back. Georgia State answers again. I mean, that that's that's the thing that, that I'd be concerned with is, is Georgia State just looked tougher mentally, you know, also than, than Tennessee. Um, but so, yeah, I was shocked by that on Saturday. I would not be shocked, of course, having seen that if Tennessee got blasted by three touchdowns by BYU on Saturday. That wouldn't shock me. We just watched that. But I also wouldn't be shocked if they won by double digits. I mean, I, I, you cannot deny that this team has talent. It does. It's not a great team, but it is a better team than it was last year. Saturday was bad from Tennessee, obviously. They have issues. You delved into some of them. I've delved into them in, in, in our analysis piece on The Athletic. But they're not that bad. They are worse. They're, they're better than they looked uh, on Saturday. And, and I think, too, you know, I also suspect that the staff didn't really take Georgia State seriously. They're always going to say the right things. They're not going to admit that. But just look at the actions. You're moving a lot of guys in and out. You're focused on rotations. You're trying to figure out what you have. I mean, bye games are su- supposed to be warm-ups, training for the big games. But at some point, if you get too much about reps and learning about your team, I mean, it seemed like Tennessee forgot, oh, yeah, you've got to win the game. And doesn't that sort of trickle down to players? If guys are shuffling in and out and, and you're just trying to see what you have, I mean, I, it, it kind of feels like that doesn't really hold water when you think about how college football teams operate. But it's hard to, to think of anything else. Uh, what, do, what do you think about that? Saturday seemed to be a case for that. No, man, that's a great point. And I think that can easily happen. And I think the offensive line shuffling in particular is, is a great illustration of that. And it's also on one side of that, that's another reason I still think when you look at the entire offense, you know, I, I think that they can find the right combination there. Obviously, some of this hinges on Trey Smith continuing to be able to play, but you know, I think they could be very good there. I think there's cause for optimism on the offensive side of the ball. And I think you're right. Um, that is that is an indication of a coaching staff that thought they'd cruise. And that's one of many alarming things if you want to go to the other side of why you should be worried moving forward. Because this coaching staff, you have that. They couldn't break out of it. Look, when we watch these games, you can say the whole product is coaching, and that's fine. But what specifically is related to coaching? To me, operation is a major indication. And you think of some of the gaffes they had inexcusably at crucial times in this game that cost them big. I mean, that's absolutely squarely on the coaches. And then I think sometimes the quote-unquote halftime adjustments are a little bit overrated. But like you said, you kind of knew that Georgia State was just going to do whatever it wanted offensively in the second half. And that, to me, maybe speaks to that a bit. So um, I don't even know what your question was now because I've just rambled on various (laughs) things. But like I can see good and bad out of that, and yes, I absolutely think that, you know, I, I guess it goes without saying, but the, the coaches just completely botched this. Yeah, I mean, I I just think, uh, you know, 
moving forward, it's it's a crucial point in not only the Jeremy Pruitt era, but but the program. Um, because if the season goes sideways, you know, you, you really can't move on from Jeremy Pruitt after two years. You just can't do that. And I think if you have a guy in, in Philip Fulmer, I mean, I think it's sort of a, almost a four-year minimum, you know, barring a disaster. And it's, you know, it's 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 not a good look. <laughs> it's not a good situation if they drop this BYU game and, and this thing goes sideways. I, I said before the season, if they start losing games, Jeremy Pruitt's going to have a tough task ahead of him to, to keep guys invested and keeping them keep them believing in the vision and what the coaches were saying. I didn't get a sense that a lot of guys wavered last year. Uh, but you start losing to Georgia State, and that that can really happen uh, in a hurry, in a hurry for sure. Uh, any other stray thoughts on Saturday before we move to the next segment, uh, Joe? Well, well, to to that point, you know, I mean, that's the thing, you know, people. I think sometimes you don't think of it in these terms, but you know, these guys have relationships with their coaches, and they work very hard, and uh, you know, they 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 do do what their coaches say. They train in the off season, you know. They do the film, you know. They're still also evaluating their coaches based on results too, just like fans and media, you know. And so when they see something like this, yeah, you you're going to lose some faith in the people who are coaching you. So you have that, and then you have just the negativity that's going to follow this game. And you know, Jeremy Pruitt's job just got a lot tougher because of that. And that's why I look at this BYU game again, and it's just. <laughs> You know, it's it's something he he really needs a a response here, a bounce back performance, because I agree with you. There is no question that you can't you know you can't seriously move on. Think about moving on from him, but these in the SEC especially things go faster than you would think at times when things start really going bad. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think Jerry Pruitt is is in a different place now. Uh, fans wanted to be optimistic. They wanted to believe in this guy that they didn't really know that well. And a lot of folks jumped off the boat yesterday. Uh, to that point, the game was so shocking yesterday, obviously. Uh, you know, it had a lot of Tennessee fans looking like Hugh Freeze out there wishing they had a hospital bed to, to watch that game in. <laughs> but I think uh, we, as the game was ending, we were kind of talking, hey, we should offer up an, a discussion thread for just Tennessee fans to to let it out, to let it out. And it's a very that's a Joe, great idea. They let it out. Believe <laughs> you me, they let it out. Uh, I'll go. I wanted to read some of these responses. Paul C, my personal favorite. I wish the Lord would take me. Calvin N, effing kill me, succinct, but. The point is made. Nick, Nick, why? <laughs> I will try to get through these without, without laughing. Listen, it's a bad loss, but at the end of the day, it's still sports. This is college football. Nick, why? Got to be the worst loss in program history, right? Wyoming was bad that game in 2008, five days after Phil Fulmer was, uh, was uh, agreed to step down. Wyoming was bad, but you can explain away that loss. Joe. There's no way to explain this game. We're trying, we're failing, but he's right. Nick Nick Y is right. I jumped in at, while sitting and waiting for the press conference, and I said, you know, I'm waiting. How would you guys describe this game? Uh, Calvin N. jumps back in. Have you ever seen Requiem for a Dream? Uh, Max, Max, 
I'm trying, guys. I'm trying. Ma- Ma- Max L jumps in. It's Groundhog Day, but only the ones when Bill Murray kills himself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Kyle M. Burn it all to the ground. Lewis H. A Dementor of Harry Potter fame just kissed me. <laughs> oh, Cal- my. Calvin, please, I'm begging you. Abby, what now? Seriously, what now? Worst loss in school history, John S. says. What is there to discuss? Apparently a lot, to say the least. All that to say, you can sort of see. These are not outlandish takes. These are not uh, a vocal minority. A lot of Tennessee fans woke up today feeling this way. I wrote about it last night in my game uh, story, and I I think it's true. For most of Jeremy Pruitt's time at Tennessee, it's been from the fans, oh, how long until he gets us back? How long until Tennessee is back on top? And I think last night was the time when it changed from when does Jeremy Pruitt get Tennessee back to if Jeremy Pruitt can get Tennessee back. Whether or not the reality was that it was always an if, he lost a lot of fans last night. Um, Joe, you, you've been around Tennessee longer than I have. It's In sports in general, it's, it's not easy to win over skeptical fans who have jumped off the boat. In Jeremy Pruitt's case, what, what would it take, you think, to win back a lot of the fans that they lost on Saturday? Well, at least he's hey, he's got a lot of games ahead of him to uh, you know to turn this around. It's going to take uh, some some very good Saturdays piled on top a- after this one. By the way, Rec Room for a Dream is something I still have nightmares about, and uh, <laughs> I, I, kissed by a Dementor. <laughs> guess that should be a hashtag or something. But hopefully that was cathartic for uh, Tennessee fans. But yeah, he, look, he lost fans. Now, if you want to talk about like. You know, the vocal minority, I mean, there's also, I'm seeing a lot on social media and comments and things like that. Like, no, they just have to fire him. You, you have to fire him now. But look, it's, it's, it's not, that's not reality. I mean, I, unless, now you've got the Philip Fulmer installing himself as coach grand plan thing, you know, that uh, people like to talk about too. But no, look, it's going to take, I mean, every time, like, anything is said about Jeremy Pruitt, in in the foreseeable future, like Georgia State will be the punchline, you know. I mean, yeah, it's just it is. It's just it's just how it is. I mean, I mean, it just it makes it harder. And look, I think you and I both disagree with some of the things he does in terms of. <laughs> you had a great tweet yesterday about. You know, imagine how bad this would have been if the media would have watched a practice. You know, I mean, he's ve- he's been overly bunkered up, uh, but you know, I guess that can maybe be good for you at times like this. But you can't escape what this does to the conversation outside if you're in his job. It's just what the job is. It's a public job. It's a high-paying job. It's an incredibly high-pressure, high-scrutiny job. So it's now tougher. But, I mean, all he can do is coach his team better and get this one win, which would be a win over, I think, a, a, a solidly quality team, and then try to build from there. But there, he also has to come up to me with some smoke and mirrors defensively because that's the thing that I go, keep going back to is I just really wonder at the point of attack how this team is going to function yeah and I think you know 
quickly on that tweet also, I caught some uh, some blowback from Tennessee folks on there. Listen, I'm not going to roll over if somebody wants to make my job more difficult for no reason. I think it's all the secrecy and the state secrets and this, this silly thing that college football has become is absolutely ludicrous because no one's in charge and the coaches don't want to do it. Meanwhile, the NFL training camp has a 2,000 fans watching every practice. I mean, it's ridiculous. Exactly. Um, but but I, I don't really want to talk about access. It's not, it's, a, <laughs> yeah. it's a pointless conversation. That can but be to, a side to, podcast at some point. Yeah. To go back to our uh, discussion board briefly, uh, Taylor D says, uh, apathy is all I have now. <laughs> and uh, we had another comment of, you know, I just don't care anymore. And that is probably the real problem for Jeremy Pruitt, because I'm very curious what kind of crowd not only do you get next week with BYU, but what happens if they go down 10-0? Because the crowd didn't really turn on Tennessee last year, last or yesterday, until they basically they were down double digits in the fourth quarter. That's when it really started to get like, oof, I have not seen this before. Uh, it was ugly. Uh and if they lose, my goodness. I mean, the Chattanooga crowd a week later, that may break all the wrong kind of records. Uh, how do you kind of deal with that, you know, if you're Jeremy Pruitt? I mean, I think the short answer is win. And I think, too, you know, when you have a loss like Saturday, nothing you say can make it better. But some things you can say can make it a lot worse. And I, I didn't think Jerry Pruitt did poorly. He was mostly fine. I thought... Tennessee fans would probably have said that he could gone without the uh, the sun will come up tomorrow comment that he made, that he made, but I mean, is there anything Jerry Pruitt can do in the next couple of weeks beyond just win that you feel like can can help him? I'd say say as little as possible. I'd actually advise him to now avoid media. This is the time to avoid media. Uh, yeah, no, not really. I really wanted to ask you about this too because I'm going off you know tweeted pictures. But it looked like a lot of the crowd left even at halftime. Is that true? Like there were there was a yeah, pretty it's heavy tight. migration. So it was the upper decks were always a little thin. Uh, a lot of the crowd that was like extremely thin by the end was in the sun. You know, it was a it was not a good crowd. It was a bad crowd. It wasn't like super embarrassing, but it was it was not good to say the least. Yeah, and so. I mean, no, you're right. You think about the the potential for the Chattanooga game if, if game two goes poorly. It's going to – and, when, you know, the thing with Butch Jones is it, it flips so fast. Now, he had, the, you know, the proper amount of time to evaluate him, but Butch Jones was on top of the world um, midseason 2016 about to win the SEC East, and there was no question – and. I couldn't find a Vols fan on the street who wasn't 100% sure he was the guy. And, uh, I mean, the catchphrases were cute. I mean, every you know, it was – and then, you know, they go lose at South Carolina. They lose the game at Vanderbilt. And all of a sudden, by early the next year, he's done. And the crowds reflected that. There were some really alarming scenes in that stadium that I think, you know, helped make the decision obvious. Um, and not that it – you know, I, th- I think it was the right decision at the time. But – Again, this is a different timeline, but that stuff really does affect people too. Just like the the conversation that follows a game like this, you know, the fans will speak. And I think apathy, I think those comments in the discussion, that is the biggest thing that I'm seeing change here now that it's it's a 
decade plus is I, I think, and I know some Vols fans, you know, really well, like really like alums who used to go and make family outings out of this every weekend. And it's like, yeah, I, yeah, we're going to do something else, you know, and, and I, that is scary for Tennessee. Yeah, I mean, I would say so. I do think, you know, I, I think both you and I, you know, our our five star hearts on this podcast allow us to really get in <laughs> some some solid leadership reps. But at the end of the day, I think every Tennessee fan was hoping they could trip and fall on a helmet on the way home last night. Uh, so you know, when you look big picture, what was the effect beyond just this year on where you stand on on being the guy? I've kind of towed the line for the most part because I think it's just basically incomplete. But how how do how much did last night affect how you think this goes? You know how the Pruitt era you know eventually ends. Of course, I, I just I don't want to overreact in that way because I still think we still have so much to learn. Again, he made his job tougher, and also I think he made it tougher on the recruiting trail for him. And that's absolutely still, that's the understated thing of this of this loss for sure. And and that's that's still the bottom line is. You've got to get better players, and you got to coach them better than they did, uh, you know, in the opener. But you've got to get better players, and it, it gets harder when you when you are a punchline, when you are essentially the worst loss of, of week one in college football, and you're trying to build a program and demonstrate something. This is a big year to demonstrate something. Year two, we've talked about this. It often gives you a strong indication of of which way things are going. I'm I'm not sitting here saying he he has no chance. Forget about it. No way. He has a tough job this year. He has to do it a lot better. I still think if he gets to a bowl game with this crew, if he can get to six, which obviously is much tougher, that's uh, that's a pretty good. I think there will be a lot of good work involved in that. And who knows? You know, maybe he can. And look, it's a cliche, but he doesn't have quote unquote his players yet. He doesn't have enough of them yet. You have to. I mean, you have to let that play. You're paying so much money for this, and you're paying so many other people so much money to not work for you. You have to let this play out. So, has it? Did, did it get affected by yesterday? Yeah, yeah, it did. Um, but I'm not ready to say there's just no chance he can get this done. You know, if he can turn this around with this team he has right now, then I think you can still make a case that you know he could win a lot more games with better rosters in years to come. Some, yeah, I think to a degree, yes, but I would disagree that he doesn't have all of his guys. I, I, I counted up the uh, the depth chart. The, I mean, we'll call it an unofficial depth chart uh, where they had, I don't even want to count how many starters. They had 38 listed starters. 16 of those guys, 16 of those 38 starters were not on the team in 2017. So he doesn't have all of his guys, but their well, their roster is about half turned over at this point. Yeah, that's true. They're young, so they are no, young. You're right. Yeah, the, the inexperience showed yesterday for sure. Yeah. So now you know, and, and that stuff does because really, I think year three is you know usually for year like year three, it's very turned over, especially mm-hmm. if a coach took over a program that was you know that needed heavy work. So. You know, the idea that it has to be five years to even start evaluating someone, you know, those days are long gone, of course. Um, but, I look, I, you know, it just really depends on do you want to make excuses for him or not. Is, is he still dealing with, you know, Butch Jones stuff? Is he still dealing with guys that, you know, he just can't get to do what he wants to do? 
that was supposed to be largely you know eradicated by now and that's so again you you can you know you can keep blaming butch for everything if you want but again th- this particular performance i mean you've got to just put squarely on his shoulders yeah i think uh you know i, I wanted to go back to a uh in terms of whether or not Pruitt's the guy, I want to go back to a story that I wrote last year that compared Tennessee to Alabama in 2007. And in short, you know, they had a decade of really, really bad football and scandal and just a ton of embarrassment at Alabama. Uh, and, and Nick Saban comes in, obviously. Nick Saban was sort of hailed as the savior, but you sort of knew it was going to turn around. But they had that, that Louisiana Monroe loss. And I talked to, uh, to Baron Huber, a guy who's from Knoxville actually and played on that team. And, uh, you know, he talked about that Louisiana Monroe, and I wrote, uh, in hindsight, you know, that was far more than just an embarrassing footnote. Nothing shows a team the light like losing to Louisiana Monroe. He won our team over through a loss, Huber said. That was the exclamation point for just how effed up our program was, quite frankly. And that's sort of where I think Tennessee finds itself this morning. Um, they woke up this morning and, and this is a, I think it's a turning point for the program. This can be the wake up call as multiple players said last night, or this can sort of be the beginning of the end and the the clock starts ticking. I think there's really only one of two ways it can go, um, in those sense. And, and so, you know, there were some bad losses, Vandy at the top of the list in year one. But there was nothing like this, you know, where the basic things about players and coaches are being widely, loudly questioned. It, it feels like a turning point because it is. Um, and and I, I, I'm very curious to see, you know, what the attitude is as, as Pruitt comes back Monday. He was measured. I sort of assumed he'd be measured. But I, I think Tennessee fans probably would have liked to have heard some, some fire and brimstone on Saturday night, and they didn't get that. And I'm curious if he'll hear that. Uh, on Monday, do you buy into the idea that this is it too late? Do you think in the Pruitt tenure because this is year two? That Louisiana Monroe game was was in year one for Nick Saban. This year, do you feel like it's too late for this to be a turning point that says, "Hey, no, th- actually, my way or the highway is the only way," or is this more of a, a sort of a harbinger of things to come and 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 the the game when everyone should have known, you know, this is going to go bad. Well, you know, it'll be 2029, David, will be here on PFL talking about <laughs> it'll be a third straight national championship for the Vols, and we'll be laughing about the Georgia State game of, of, uh, of uh, would it be Ot 19? No, it'd be Ot 9, yeah, of, of 2019. Sure. Uh, yeah, nah, it, it's, well, it's, a, I'm glad you brought it up because, yes, Nick Saban has had, uh, you know, terrible losses and not great teams. It's good to, Keep that in mind. It is an imperfect comparison because, yeah, I mean, I think like you said off the air before we started, you know, they didn't have this kind of loss last year. Last, that's when, that's the year it's inexcusable. Then it's everybody's like, oh, there you go. Butch's mm-hmm. fault. Look what Butch has done to this program and what Jeremy has to deal with. And I hear a lot less of that this year. I mean, it's, it, it is supposed to be different. You're supposed to have, you know, moved out guys who, you know, you don't believe in or don't believe in you or, don't get along with whatever, uh, and and change things over to an extent that um, you know this is this is a kind of loss you don't suffer anymore if you have the kind of talent that we think Tennessee has. But 
it is first game of year two, so you could you could say, hey, how, what, how are you supposed to have everything cleaned up by now? Again, it kind of goes back to the how you want to look at it. There are some people who are going to want to look at it one way and some who want to look at it the other way. I think there are a lot more people now who are not willing to give them a pass. Yeah, and that's uh... – Winning those back, winning those people back is is going to be difficult. Uh, Joe, if you could offer a piece of advice to the diehard Tennessee fan who, who woke up this morning and felt like I've been waiting eight months to see college football and watch my favorite team take the field in my favorite stadium, and and now this happen what would what would you tell that guy if you were sitting across from him in the room what's your message to that to that guy or gal get ready for basketball season baby <laughs> no i don't uh, want to be sunshine yeah uh, yes no you know, look my advice would be to try to take this in stride and and for what it is and look it it's 12 days out of a year that your team plays and that's of course what may, you know what makes it so disheartening when you have a day like that but you know enjoy your team and and know that this sport is cyclical even though it seems right now like the Vols will never get out of this down cycle it is cyclical and basically every program every program of note of consequence in this sport has gone through this to some extent other than really Ohio State in you know in modern era so it will get better and the true fan remembers times like this and sticks around for times like this and and enjoys the good times so much more so there's my little dose of sunshine there you go if without the rain you can't appreciate the sunshine and uh uh joe tom d asked in our discussion board how much does it cost to get your ass kicked these days well, Tom, that's not a uh, hypothetical question. I can tell you it's $950,000. That is the check that the University <laughs> of Tennessee will be cutting to Georgia State University. Much appreciated for them, I am sure. And perhaps the most egregious thing about this game, Joe, is it has left us no time to talk about food. What, what are we even doing here? What, what is, what, yeah. what, what it has happened? Wrong. Uh, it does. It, it seems wrong. I thought this wrong. was going to be a, a – I, again, I, I was with you. You know – the bigger upset, more than, than Georgia State beating Tennessee, was on the television broadcast and on the PA. The level of accuracy on Garantano, I was shocked. <laughs> uh, I thought that's that what we were talking good. about today. Instead, we're talking about the Georgia State game as a possible touchstone moment in the Jeremy Pruitt era. Folks, that is not a good thing. <laughs> no. Not but we a will return to food, and I will in the meantime. I, I'm going to eat a lot of food the next couple of days. I can at least promise you that. Okay. I'm looking forward to that. Well, that's it for uh, <laughs> this week's uh, free episode of PFL, Pod for Life. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. Uh, this one's uh, for anybody out there. We appreciate you guys. Uh, pushing us up those iTunes uh, rankings. Uh, that was awesome to see all of our, our athletic podcasts making some noise on there, literally and figuratively. So keep it coming. And uh, for our subscribers, we have a subscribers-only podcast uh, just on the app. Last week, uh, Eric Ains joined me. Fantastic stuff. Explaining you know the offensive line and uh, uh, 
and and Garantano and sort of the Bryce Thompson situation. Great stuff. So if you, you want to get caught up on that one, ignore his prediction of nine and three mm. for Tennessee in twenty nineteen and and take his insight for what it's worth. I thought it was fantastic. Enjoyed having Eric. Joe Rexroad of the Athletic Nashville, my esteemed co host. Thank you for joining us. Joe, any parting thoughts? Uh no, that I think that's about it. Uh food and uh pool. That, that's okay. next on the agenda. All right. That sounds good. That I'll let you know good. how it again, went. Joe Rexroad, <laughs> I am your host, David Ubbin. We'll see you guys again later this week.